Speak to us, Lord God, today. Out of the fullness of who you are, speak to us, Jesus. You who put the, the stars in flight, you who the planets and the galaxies, Lord, come now into our lives, Lord Jesus, and intersect where we are today with who you are. Jesus, we love you, we honor you, we praise you. If we just open our hands right now, just open your hands before the Lord. Just open your hands before him right now. Jesus, you are going deep. Lord, your word says that deep calls to deep in the waterfalls of your love. That deep calls to deep. Jesus, we just see your hands going deep again into the clay of our lives, Lord. Shaping, reshaping, forming and transforming. Come. Spirit of God, come. Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. And uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me today to Matthew chapter 12 as we continue our series. Follow me. We're coming towards the conclusion of that. We've got a couple more weeks. We have this morning and two, the next two weeks, and then we'll be moving into Advent in our Advent series. But um, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 8, verses, or 8 through chapter 12. Um, so, and, and, and God has just been doing deep work in our hearts as he's calling us to follow him. And this morning, we've come to the passage in Matthew chapter 12, uh, and we're going to be looking at the first 21 verses. And specifically, we're going to look at these verses in light of his call of kingdom transformation, kingdom transformation. So, if you have your Bible, again, turn to Matthew chapter 12. If you need to use a Bible in front of you, use that. If you have a device, I encourage you, that's fine. Um, please be uh, in the scripture with us rather than in Facebook. It will be more, I think, beneficial for you this morning if you could join us uh, in the scripture today. All right. It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath day in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. 
But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. And a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. It's his name that we've been singing about this morning. We've been, everything has been focused in that vertical place, um, focusing our attention and our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts on Jesus. This morning, um, I've entitled the message Kingdom Transformation because what I want us to um, see emerging from this passage, there's, there's so much going on here, and, and we could read it at a surface level, but I have this sense that the Lord wants to take us in kind of like a microscope that goes, you know, as you adjust it, you get to see more and more and more. That's what I feel like the Lord's been doing in my own heart this week as I've been um, kind of allowing the Lord to walk me through this passage, very familiar passage, again and again, but going deeper and deeper and seeing more and more of what's going on here. And, and, and that's where I really sense that this is a passage that's going to help us understand at a new level this whole concept of kingdom transformation. Now, a while back, and you can go back, you can always go onto the website and find uh, previous sermon series and things like that. We did a whole sermon series about the concept of kingdom culture, and uh, recognizing that there is a kingdom culture which transcends all earthly cultures and transforms our earthly cultural worldview values and practices. So say with me for a moment, transcends, transcends. Now at any given time in this congregation, we have people who come from maybe 25 different nations, all right? So each of those nations, and even within those nations, there are individual earthly kind of cultural uh, contexts. There's a, there's a culture that we live in here on earth. But there is a kingdom culture which is, transcends all of those earthly cultures, all history, all geography, um, all time, all, in every way, there is a culture that transcends those earthly cultures. Now, say with me the word transforms. As that kingdom culture intersects with our earthly cultures, a transformation begins to take place. There's a spiritual alchemy whereby the, the power and the presence of the living God intersecting with our cultures, our earthly cultures, begins to transform our earthly worldviews, values, and practices. Now, it says in Romans 12, and it was already prayed out at one point this morning, the holy and acceptable worship. This is what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You've heard this scripture multiple times. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship or your holy and acceptable worship, whatever 
There's different ways that it can be translated, but this is, this is what worship looks like. It, it looks like offering your bodies to the Lord as living sacrifice. Not conforming to the pattern of this world. That's the cultural patterns. That's that worldview, values, and practices of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, who can tell me what do you think is the most, um, what, what do you think in our culture today has the most influence on our lives? What is it that's shaping how we view the world? What is it that's shaping media? Right. So, this little uh, device right here, which I might be able to get out. All right. This little device right here. Uh-oh, I have a text. Do you think I better click it? I don't know. Okay. I have a little smiley face. It even smiles at me when I have some text. Okay, when I have something come up. All right? I, I was listening to the radio this week uh, in, in transit and uh, heard a statistic that was interesting. Um, for the generation that's coming up right now, the generation that has not known life without this, the typical gen, whatever this is, millennial, spends nine hours a day on a device of some kind or a screen. Nine hours a day. More than they're sleeping, more than they're in school, nine hours a day. Now, you know, that comes in bits and spurts and here and there and all of those kinds of things. But do you think that that's having an effect on their minds and the ways are, you think it's having an effect on my mind? Of course it is. So it's not just them. It's not those formula. It's, uh-oh, now it's even ringing. Oh, thank you, Pastor Ben. Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Ben is calling me. Okay. That was good. <laughs> I better answer. Hey, <laughs> what do you got to say? <laughs> uh-oh. Now, I have a little hanged-up phone. It says I have a missed call. I'll have to call you back later. All right. There is a shaping going on in our lives. Right? Is this true? I mean, come on, for all of us. All of us are being shaped by what we're swimming in all the time, the cultural milieu that we're swimming in. That's where our worldview is being established. That's where our values are being established. That's where our behaviors are being established. It's all coming out of that. Now, this isn't new. This is something that, that the Apostle Paul talks about here, which is why he says, don't conform. Don't, be, don't have your life formed by that, by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, of course, you know, the transformational process, how do, how do we understand who he is? Well, through his word. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning to kind of at least bump us just a little bit towards understanding his kingdom transformation power. Because this interaction more than just an interaction with some religious folks, Jesus is here. There's a, 
you know, he's got an underlying agenda that he's working here. He's making some arguments. He's using some pictures and stories, and he's even using a sign, a specific healing, to help understand, for us to understand the transformative, the, the incredibly radical power of the kingdom of God to bring transformation from the inside out. Remember, the kingdom of God always works from the inside out, always works from upside down. So it always kind of turns things around upside down, and it moves from the inside out, and it's radical in what it does in the lives of those who receive that transformation. So what I want to draw us into this morning is to the posture of receiving that transformation, letting his hands go in and begin to reshape how we even view the world around us. All right, so there we go. Now, here's the context of culture. We've talked about this multiple times. So there's, on the outside, we have the practices, the behaviors, the things that you can see. It's the food, it's the, it's the fashion, it's the festivals, it's all of kind of those external things that you notice when somebody's coming from a different culture than you are. It could be language, it can be all kinds of different things that let you know that somebody is coming from a different cultural perspective because of the practices which you see them living out. Now, those practices are based on values. The values are something that are a little bit more subconscious. Sometimes they kind of come to the surface, but again, they're the, they're the things that inform what our practices, how, how we live out our practices. So there's, there's values that you have. Um, you know, I've said this multiple times, and, and it's really true. You can... Um, if you give me your checkbook and your, um, and your credit card statement, I can tell you something about the values, the things that you value, right? Because, you know, where your money is, where your, there where your heart be also, where your treasure is. So, so your values get based on that, how you spend your time. I can look at your uh, day timer or, or whatever it is that you use, and you can tell something about values. You can do the same with me. We all have values, things that are important. And also, you know, those values impact in so many different areas in terms of relationships, how we do our work. All kinds of things are informed by values. Now, that's a, a layer deeper than practices, but there's a layer even deeper than that. The layer deeper than that is our worldview. And that is very hard, that's very subconscious and very difficult for us to get at because it's something that really we don't often have a conscious awareness of. We don't even see, it's just, it's, you know, the, the easiest way to say it is it's just the thing that we know how things work. It's just right. You know when something's just right because, well, that's just the way it is, okay? And that's our worldview. One of the simplest things about that. Um, uh, Dr. Steve Rasmussen has taught us this and shown us this, you know. So in, in America, you know, when you're sick, the question is, what caused the sickness? In Africa, when you were sick, at least in, in certain regions of Africa, the question is, who made me sick? Okay, so it can be what caused the sickness or who caused the sickness, all right? That's a worldview issue, Okay. So, and there's lots of those kinds of worldview things. And Jesus, now, in his interactions with the Jewish religious leaders here, the Pharisees and 
And in his ongoing interactions with Sadducees and scribes and all of the different folk who make up the religious establishment, is really goes after these issues of worldview, values, and practices. And what I want you to do is watch that unfold in this passage, and then it leads us towards some place together. So, all right, stay with me. When the Pharisees saw this, when they saw what? What did they see? What did the Pharisees see? What were they watching? The disciples, what were they doing? All right? They were, they were harvesting some grain, and it was Sabbath. And they were watching that happen, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said, look. Now, they didn't blame the disciples. They blamed the teacher. Because the teacher was the one who wasn't doing the right teaching. When your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? So if you look in your notes in your Bible or somewhere, you'll notice that that brings you back to 1 Samuel 21. And here's the picture. David went to Nob to uh, Amalek, the priest. Amalek trembled when he met him and asked, well, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Amalek the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, oh, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, well, indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's body are holy, uh, even on missions that are not holy, how much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, What's the point of this? Well, this is a, this is a, there's a worldview question here that's going on. And the worldview question is this. Who or what has ultimate authority? Who or what has ultimate authority? For the Pharisees, the law had the ultimate authority. And the law said, you cannot do this. What the disciples were doing on the Sabbath was Un, look at the word specifically there. What is unlawful. In other words, there is a, there is a, there's a, a shaping of worldview around the law. But Jesus is, you know, Paul says here in Romans, and, and of course he's just saying what Jesus was doing. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus is the, the kingdom of God now, which transcends and transforms culture, is intersecting. And Jesus says, well, the issue here, if you want to ask the question, who is in control or who or what has ultimate authority, let me tell you, Jesus, the king, has ultimate authority. Remember when David went to Sam, it was the king has sent us on a mission. Well, Jesus is the king and his disciples are on mission and therefore it is acceptable for them to be getting grain and then ultimately bread on that Sabbath. Because Jesus is the one who rules and reigns. 
He is the one who is in control. He is the one who has ultimate authority. So when we get our worldview shaped around Jesus, it begins this transformative process because Jesus is, I mean, you know, he's, he's radical and he's always, he's always doing stuff that turns things inside out and upside down because that's what the kingdom does. Now, let's go on. He uses another argument here. There's a specific technical terms here, which if anybody is really interested, because I know that some of you are really, really interested, I can give you the technical terms for what Jesus is doing here. He's using two different kinds of, um, of, uh, of arguments. So he's doing, he's, he's like, he's like a, um, my kids go to Nova, they learn how to argue. It's great. And, um, but they learn, you know, so he's like a, he's like a Nova grad beyond. Okay, so he's, he's a great, he's great at rhetoric and all of this sort of stuff. So the first is, the, the first one we looked at was Haggadah, if you want to write that down, H-A-G-G-A-D-A-H. That was the kind of argument he used. The second kind of argument now he uses from the legal code is called Halakha, H-A-L-A-K-H-A-H. The first is H-A-G-G-A-D-A-H, and this one is H-A-L-A-K-H-A-H. Okay, that's just for those of you that are word nerds like me that like to know stuff like that. Okay, there we go. Haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath yet are innocent? How do the priests, somebody tell me, sermon points available, how do the priests desecrate the Sabbath? They're working. What are they doing? They're what's that? Ministering in the temple, but, you know, specifically, they're slaughtering animals. They're getting bread. They're doing things that are unlawful. So wait a minute. But Jesus says, I tell you that something greater than the temple so here we get at the issue of values. Okay, so this is a slightly artificial, you know, I'm, put, I'm putting this frame over this, but again, it's like this, this microscope to help us see more deeply. So are your values shaped by the rituals that you have received down through the, the temple rituals and those kinds of things? So your worldview shaped around these rules, your 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 values shaped around these particular rituals. Because the question here is, who or what sets our priorities? What is a priority here? Is the priority the maintaining of the ritual, or is the priority doing good? Is the priority here feeding those that are hungry? What is the priority? Who sets the values? Who says What's important? Who says this is the most important thing to be doing right now? And the only way we can answer that is Jesus, the high priest, is the one who sets those values. So he's trans... Something greater than the temple is here. That something that is greater is the high priest himself, Jesus. Who sets the values? Okay, come along with me some more. 
Hopefully this is connecting with you. Now we have this issue of practices, the, the outer. And here's what Jesus, it's so interesting what Jesus says here. If you had known, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Extra sermon points again available. Where did Jesus quote this from? What's the, where is it from? You can look in your notes. Somebody will find it quick. Hosea. Hosea 6, 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So our behaviors, our actions, who, who or what determines our actions? And Jesus here, in interesting in his argument, he refers to the prophets. And I would contend this morning that when we understand that, we understand that Jesus the prophet is the one who determines our actions. The prophet is the one who speaks for God. And Jesus says, here's what behavior is important, doing good. So, for those of you paying attention, here we have, you know, there's, there's three main things that are forming the cultural values of the Jewish system, the, the king, the priest, and the prophet are the ones who form the, the, the values, of the, the whole cultural system of Judaism, and Jesus is stepping in as the king, the high priest, and the prophet. And ultimately then completely subverts the whole system, which he always does with every culture. Jesus comes in and he begins to turn things inside out and upside down. But just like the Jewish leaders, we don't like that so much. Because it's really uncomfortable. Because Jesus doesn't do it the right way. And what's the right way? Well, it's our way. He doesn't do it our way. A small little, oh. Dare I say this? Yes, I dare say this. Jesus is not a capitalist. Nor is he a communist. Or a socialist. Or a Republican. Or a Democrat. Jesus, his kingdom operates outside... He's the prophetic word that speaks into every one of those systems, calling all to account and bringing true transformation. We've talked about that before. There's a, there's a capitalist economy. There's a, you know, in the capitalist economy, I own everything. In the communist economy or a socialist economy, the state owns everything. But in kingdom economy, Jesus owns it all. God owns it. And I'm just a steward. Well, that changes everything if you actually let it change everything. And transform. Do you get this? You see what I'm talking about? Ooh, you're meddling now. Sorry. All right. No, I'm not apologizing. All right. So now we have this prophetic picture. Come, come back to the text. We're almost there. We're almost done. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. Well, that gives you a little bit of their agenda. They asked him, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Listen to this. He said, 
to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Bah. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Isn't that great? That was their response. Kill him. But notice this. He stretched out, and it was completely restored. Again, you guys know I'm a word nerd. So I, I went back into my Greek stuff to figure out what that word completely restored is. It's really cool. It's a really comprehensive, it's a huge word. It's, it's very akin to the word shalom. It means to rebuild. It means to reestablish. It means to fully restore. I mean, it's comprehensive. His hand was restored so that it was as sound as the one that was totally whole already. And the word of the Lord is this. Kingdom transformation unfolds when Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king, completely restores and re rebuilds and reestablishes his rule and reign. That's what he's about. That's what he wants to do in your household. That's what he wants to do in your neighborhood. That's what he wants to do in your workplace. That's what he wants to do in your school. That's what he wants to do in our country. That's what he wants to do in this world. He is in the process. Even, that's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking for that complete restoration. When you see something that is shriveled or broken or out of joint or out of place, you invite the kingdom of God to continue to come recognizing that we're still in the already and not yet. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. And his promises, which are as true at the beginning, will be true at the end. And we're looking forward to that day. We understand that we're going to only see in part while we're here on earth. Yet we press on towards that hope that there will be a day when the wedding bells ring and we will be completely restored. We will be completely restored. All right? Amen? We will be completely restored. We will. In the meantime, the kingdom breaks in and subverts and does this incredible kingdom work. Then we have this prophetic word, this beautiful prophetic word that we're closing with this morning. And then we're going to go into some time of prayer. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. And he warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here's the prophetic word. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick. He will not snuff out till he has brought justice through his victory. Did you catch that? Till he has brought justice through to victory in his name, the nations will put their hope. Now over these last weeks as we've been following Jesus, 
in chapters 8 through 12 of Matthew, we've been introduced to various names of who he is. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the son of David. But I want to, to understand and underline in your heart this morning in that fourth word there in this scripture. Here is my what? Servant. You see, the fact of the matter is this. Kingdom transformation unfolds because Jesus is the servant. He is the servant king. He is the servant priest. He is the servant prophet who rules and reigns in righteousness and justice. Here's more of that inside out, upside down. He is the one who comes as the servant. We were praying about this this morning during pre-service prayer. Been just, it's been deep in my heart all week long. Just reminded again, I love this scripture. A bruised reed he will not break. That reed is no longer useful when it has been bruised, when it is bent down, when it is broken over. But he doesn't break it. He will gently and carefully lift it back up. When that wick, have you ever done that? When the wick, when it's smoldering, have you ever had that happen where the wick goes down into the into the candle and it just starts smoking? Instead of pouring out light, all it's doing is pouring out smoke. Sometimes that's how my life feels. Does that sometimes feel how your life feels? Instead of being a light, all you are doing is putting out smoke. <laughs> but he says, I'm not going to, you know what I do? We go like this, right? Lick your fingers and snuff it out. Jesus doesn't do that. He carefully comes and he carefully digs around that wick to let it start to once again flame. So this morning, am I a bruised reed? Or a smoldering wick? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But are you a bruised reed or a smoldering wick? The good news today is that Jesus, the bruised reed, he won't break. The smoldering wick, he doesn't snuff out. Is my hope in his name? I'm so grateful that Hannah put her finger... Was a, that was a very that was a very specific word of knowledge she received about altar time this morning about hope. We hadn't talked about this beforehand, and she wasn't able to be with us at prayer beforehand. But she heard by her spirit exactly what we needed to hear today. Where are you putting your hope? Is your hope in him? Will we pray and ask till his justice is established? Because this isn't just about us. Remember, this is a year of favor, where it's not about just his favor flowing, gimme, 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 God. It's, it's the ester, it's the, it's the scepter going out, and it's his scepter going out with his favor extended to us so that his favor can flow through us to a wounded, waiting world. Because there are bruised reeds and smoldering rick, wicks all over where you live. Maybe right in your own home. Right in your school, right in your workplace, wherever you are, there are smoldering wicks. 
And will we pray and act for him to be the hope of the nations? Will we recognize he wants to be and will be the hope of the nations? This morning is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. During our fasting and prayer season over past, past Lent, we poured ourselves out on behalf of the persecuted church. And we're going to briefly today spend some moments in prayer again for the persecuted church. But I'm going to ask you to first watch this video in light of what we just heard, who Jesus is. Remember, we're lifting up and exalting the name of Jesus, the prophet, the priest, the king, the servant, prophet, priest, and king for the nations. Watch this video, and then we're going to spend about five minutes in prayer for the persecuted church before we close our service this morning.
for the next five minutes, we're going to spend ourselves in prayer on behalf of our brothers and sisters, 200 million. I don't know how many of us are in the room today, probably at least 200 of us, but each of you representing a million people who are right now being persecuted. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He will not stop until he establishes justice and righteousness. We're going to cry out to him together. We're going to do this in a style not as common for us here in America, but a style that is very common all over the world. And that is we're going to just lift up our voices together in what is to be called a concert of prayer where your just voice is blending with all of the other voices around you. And I'm going to invite you to pray in your heart language. You can pray in the spirit, pray in whatever um, earthly language you know. But together, I invite you right now, you can pray quietly if you want, but you can shout out as loud as you want as well. But I'm going to ask you to please not be silent uh, for the sake of your brothers and sisters around the world. And you don't even maybe know what to pray out, but we're praying for Syria, Iraq, and, and North Korea, but also in your own home countries or in other places around the world or whatever country God's laid in your heart, you're just going to begin to pour that out into the Lord, okay? So, um, uh, yeah. So just, um, James, if you can just come and, and just real quietly just play on the piano behind us while that's happening, that would be great. And um, so here we go. On the count of three, one, two, three, just begin to lift up your voice right now. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Come on, do not be silent. Raise up your voice. If you've not said something yet, say, Son of David, have mercy. Say, Jesus, have mercy. Something, just let something well up in your soul. Come on, let something. Let us be witnesses. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. For those of you that have experienced and walked through persecution and oppression and have walked to the other side, stand as witnesses today. Come on, stand as the people of God. Stand together here in this house. Jesus, we're crying out to you, Jesus. Oh. Hallelujah. Come on, let that spirit of intercession just come on, rise up. And God's going to let a flow start to go into your workplaces and into your schools. God's going to start to let that intercession flow on the streets right here, as well as around the world. But He's, he's going to break our hearts with compassion, with His love, with His tenderness, with His goodness. Jesus. Jesus, 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 we're crying out to you, Jesus, Jesus, come on, cry out to him, do not be silent. Jesus, this morning here in this house, we declare that we believe.
You alone are the hope of the nations. And we receive you as king. We receive you as priest. We receive you as prophet. We receive you as the servant who has come to transform, Lord, all earthly cultures, Lord. Even those that seem so dark, Lord, you are the light that comes to bring transformation. Come, transform, Lord, by your power and might, we pray. Lord, hear our prayer, the prayers of your people here this day, this hour. And now with open hands, I pray that you would be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, the Son. With the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives and until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. I pray that his love and goodness and mercy and grace will chase you down every day of your life. In the name of Jesus, I bless you, people of God. Amen. Amen.